So we're in our journey here on moving mountains, and this week we're going to deal with the mountain of sin. The mountain of sin. There are many mountains that we all face in life. That's just one of the many mountains that are before us. The mountain of sin, the mountain of debt we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with the mountain of poor health. I mean, we've dealt with uh, the mountain of a broken window. Come on. And uh, whatever's before us. There are many mountains that we have to face. And one of the things I think that we're going to have to learn in this life is that we're going to have to move those mountains out of the way in order to get to where we want to go. In order to reach our destination, in order to totally fulfill our purpose, we're going to have to move those mountains. Even Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, had a mountain, the mountain of the cross, that he had to bear. Even in the garden, he said, Lord, if this cup, this mountain, this cup can be taken from me, if there's a way I can go around the mountain, if there's a way I can just not face the mountain, then I would rather do that. But Lord, not, your, not my will, but your will. And it's God's will that you move every mountain that is before you with mountain-moving faith. How many know God? God is a mountain mover. Nahum 1.5 says this, it says that mountains quake before him and hills melt away. They melt away before him. But I want to tell you something this morning. That same spirit that moves those mountains and makes those mountains quake and causes those hills to melt away, that same spirit is in you. This morning, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and you're filled with His Spirit, that same mountain-moving Spirit is in you. You may not believe it yet. You may not be there yet, but I'm hoping by the end of this series that you believe with your whole heart that you, not only God, but you are a mountain mover. So how do we do that? Matthew chapter 17, I'm looking at verse 14. The Bible says this, I'm reading from the New King James, it says that when they had come, talking about the disciples with Jesus, to the multitude a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Pause right there for a moment. Something I just want to throw in there. The fact that they didn't heal the boy and Jesus had this response. He had this response. Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Do you think Jesus has some expectations? Not only should you expect to move mountains in your life, but understand that God expects you to move mountains. Come on, somebody. Now, that puts a little different perspective on it, doesn't it? Not only you and not only do your friends expect you to get through things, but God expects you to move mountains. He said, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, 
I'm telling you, for assuredly, I say to you, there is no doubt, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except prayer and fasting. If you have faith as a mustard seed, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say, not pray, not hope, not wish, not ask someone else to do it for you. You, you will say, move from here to there. And it will move. And then he puts this on it. Nothing will be impossible to you. Now let me just throw something in here. I know that we are a people that are results driven. And I think sometimes that gets us in trouble. Because we look for the end before we go through the middle. In order to get over the wall, you got to do some training. I mean, if you got a big old belly like this, you're not going to get over the wall. You got to go through. You got to read some scripture. You got to understand what God is saying. You may have to pray, Lord. That's why the disciples came to him, Lord. What, 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 why could we not do it? And so he told them and they were ready to receive that. He told them and they were ready to receive. Are we ready to receive what God would tell us? Not only to receive it, but to believe it. Come on. We must believe it. Listen to how the message translation puts verses 20 to 22. Jesus told them this. He said, because and they said, why could we not do it? He said, because you're not yet taking God seriously. I take him seriously. You must not be. You're not believing it and you're not speaking it. You're not yet taking God seriously, said Jesus. The simple truth is that if you had a mere kernel of faith, I have given you faith. A poppy seed, say, you would tell this mountain, move, and it would move. And then nothing, there would be nothing that you wouldn't be able to tackle. Nothing. This week, we're going to talk about the mountain of sin. How many know that it can be a mountain? I know Jesus dealt with it. You might be saying that in your mind, but we're just going to talk about it for a moment so we can get past it. We're going to go ahead and talk about the mountain of debt. We're going to talk about the mountain of poor health, the mountain of depression. And then we're going to end up talking about the mountain of mediocrity. Because how many know that God doesn't want us to live a mediocre life? How many times have we heard the scripture, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that what? And have it what? More abundantly. Not a mediocre life. I, I, was, I was listening to my cousin, we were talking yesterday, she was visiting with us and her mother was in the hospital and she, uh, she wasn't feeling good and she was short of breath and so she went to the hospital and uh, the doctor did some tests and they, they came back to her in the room and, and they told the families, they said, well, uh, she doesn't have cancer. And they said, cancer? We didn't know that you thought, somebody thought she might have cancer. We never spoke anything about cancer. And the doctor said, well, she doesn't have cancer. And she doesn't have this and she doesn't have that. And I think she just was a little anxious. And she's 87 years old. She was a little anxious. So they said, good, that, you know, mom is okay. She can go home now. And my cousin said that her mother turned to her at 87 years old. said, you know, I'm happy to be alive. 
She said, but if the Lord were to take me or if I were to die right now, so her mother's words, uh, I'd be okay. You want to know why? Because I love my life. Through all the ups and downs, I've had a great life. And I know some things about her life. That's my Aunt Louise. I know some things, uh, some things that she went through in her life that were not so pleasant. But still in the midst of it all, she said, I'm looking back over my life and I love my life. I love all the lessons I've learned. I've, I've loved how I've uh, gone through life and I've loved the highs and even through the lows. I've praised God through it all. So I just glorify God right now. Amen. And that's what we need to be able to say when we come to that point in our life that I love my life. We need to be able to testify like Sister Sharon did this morning that God has been good through it all. I've had an abundant, great life. Even when the enemy has come against me, I've walked on water and through the circumstances. Even when there was a midnight hour, I just began to praise God and I began to speak his word and I made it through when we look back. That's the kind of life that he wants us to live. Not a life of mediocrity, not a life of depression, not a life uh, where we owe people money and that's all we're worried about. No, he wants us to overcome those things that the enemy would throw at us and even those things that we get ourselves into because that's probably 80% of it. If you really look at it, the enemy probably throws about 20% and you do about 80% yourself. I'm not talking about nobody, I'm not calling any names. But if the debt fits, here's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about moving mountains. Here's my definition. Mountains represent any obstacle, problems, whatever it may be that are in front of you. You want to go somewhere and there's an obstacle in front of you and it seems impossible to move. Yet, yet we know that God is a mountain mover. And guess what? By faith, so are you. You are a mountain mover. I want to deal with this subject this morning that many of us will look and say, well, it's, it's already dealt with. And I understand that sin has already been dealt with by Jesus. We don't have to worry about it. But I want you to look in the mirror this morning and I want you to say, then why do I keep falling short sometimes? Because John said, if you say you have no sin, come on, you're lying. Now, you know, we're, here, here's the thing. Let me just get this right off, right off the bat. Sinners sin because that's who they are. It's expected. Come on. I'm a sinner, so I sin. It, it's what I do. It's in me. You remember, I won't tell it, but you remember the story of the scorpion and the frog, where the scorpion finally stung the frog after he said he wouldn't. And he said, why did you sting me? We're both going to drown. We're in the middle of the river. He said, I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. Even if I say something different, because it's who I am, that's what I'm going to do. Sin or sin? Why are we so surprised when we look at the whole, what is this world coming to? I just can't believe the politics. I can't believe the airline and the economy. Can't believe the gas price. I can't believe that guy would say that. Guess what? Believe it. It's what they do. It's what they do. What we need to get past, though, is us who don't need to sin. We've been freed from sin. It has been dealt with. And guess what your father would say? You know better. Now, this one over here, I'm going to deal with. I'm going to chasing them. But you know better. If we want to live an abundant life, we need to look in the mirror and say, guess what? You do know better. You know better. Come on. And so we need to deal with this. And I think one of the things that folks don't understand sometimes is what sin is not. So let's deal with that for a moment. 
First of all, we have to understand that sin is not an accident. Come on, sin is not an accident. There is no sin that's an accident. I was over her house and we accidentally... No, no, you didn't accidentally do anything. It happened on purpose. You might tell yourself that. That's what you say. But guess what? It wasn't an accident. Sin entered the world through an act of willful disobedience. And every time you or I commit a sin, we do it through an act of willful disobedience. Come on. So sin is not an accident. Also, here, sin is not a weakness of the flesh. We might think that. It's, it's a, it, iniquity is a chink in our armor before we're saved. But I'm talking to you this morning. Sin is not a weakness of the flesh. You want to know how I know? It's because, listen, Christ himself shared our weaknesses, but he did not sin. And he was an example for us. He was tired. He was hungry. He was vulnerable to grief. He, he, he went through all of those things that we go through, yet he sinned not. Now, listen, I, again, understand that I'm not throwing any stones. And I don't believe the Holy Spirit has thrown any stones. Anytime God comes to give us a word like this, it's always to encourage us, to bring us up to where we need to be so that we can be overcomers. Not to, actually, not so that we can be overcomers, so we can realize that's what we already are and start overcoming. He wants us to bring us to a place where we can be who he's already called us to be. So be encouraged when I say that sin is not an accident. Come on, call it out. Call it for what it is. Call it for what it is. And I want to tell you this, sin is not excusable. Let's stop making excuses for sin. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. You got to face God on your own. You can't say, well, they would. And see, this is what happens today. We, we feel like, well, you know, we lower the standard because everybody else is doing it. Well, all the rest of society does that, so how can it be so bad for me? Guess what? You're going to stand before him by yourself. And you can't say, well, Sister Marcy did it, Sister Dietrich did it, Jody did it, Ken did it, so what about me? He's going to say, what about you? I'm talking about you. Do you remember when Peter was walking with Jesus after Jesus had resurrected? They were kind of walking together. A couple of the other disciples were there. John was back there. And Peter kind of nudged Jesus, come on up here. What about him? Jesus said, what about him? I'm talking to you. If, if, I may, if, if he lives until I come back or whatever I do with him, that's between me and him. I'm talking about you. And we need to begin to take responsibility for ourselves. See, because when you overcome, it's because you spoke the word, not somebody else. And when you fall short, it's because you didn't speak the word and committed an act of willful disobedience. Come on, somebody. Adam and Eve offered up all kind of, of blame. You know, it was her. It was the snake. It was someone else. We want to find people to blame. We want to find, you know, I, we go through stuff. We go through things. Listen, both parents weren't in the home. I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I'm the wrong color. I don't have enough hair. Whatever it might be, we, we, we go through all of those things. I understand that. But guess what? Christ died on the cross. And he took our iniquity. He took our sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And it doesn't matter who or where you are. 
It's for everybody. Whomsoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't matter what color. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter what your parents did to you. Doesn't matter who offended you. It doesn't matter. I understand we need to, we need to work through some things. I'm not saying that we don't. But we, when we come to that realization, we're on the path to getting to where we need to go. We need to get on that path. Come on. What is sin then? Really, what's it? Is it a bad act? Is it something that hurts somebody? What is it? What really is sin? Here's what it is at its base level. And most of you know this. Sin is simply this. It is to just miss a mark. Now, here, here's the thing. Okay, sin means to miss the mark. Who made the mark? That's where we have the problem. We understand that sin is to miss the mark. I think our disconnect is who made the mark. I think we make the mark sometimes. Or we allow society to set the mark. And if we hit that mark, we're okay. Well, I, you know, I didn't get all the way there, but I got to here and, you know, that's okay. No, God made the mark. And anyone who falls short of the mark is sin. It is what it is. Now, he's not condemning us. Again, I keep throwing this in because I don't want you to turn your back and close your ear. Because God is encouraging us this morning that you can go on unto perfection. You can live an abundant life. You can live the life that he called you to live. Come on. Despite all the things that come against you. Despite tripping and falling. A righteous man falls seven times. How many times does he get up? Every single one, the Bible says. Every time. Get up. And keep going. You can live the life that God called you to live. To sin, it means to be bent or twisted or crooked. It's not straight. Come on. To sin means to have a habit of evil. This is what I'm talking about this morning. Because you might say, well, I, you know, Jesus, he was perfect, but he had perfect blood and he was filled with the spirit and, you know, he was God incarnate. But guess what? You're filled with the same spirit that Jesus was filled with. You have the power to overcome sin. Jesus did what he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, he had perfect blood, but that's the only way that there could be an atonement was for perfect blood. But as he walked as a man, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he laid hands on people, come on, we can, because, how do I know that? Well, I don't know about that. Are you sure? Yeah, you want to know why? Because Jesus said, guess what? You'll do greater works than me. Why would he say that? Jesus, I don't know. You don't believe him? He said it, you'll do greater works. That means you have the same spirit that he had. And that doesn't only mean that you'll do greater works out there, that thousands will be saved and um, millions will be healed. And all. Guess what? There's a work that needs to be done right here. Right here where the kingdom of God is. That you can live an overcoming life. Sin means to rebel against authority. That's what it is. Really what it is is there's a line there. And you don't cross the line. You both missed the mark and crossed the line. You did it on your own. Nobody made you cross the line. The devil didn't make you do it. Tis, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. That's all he gives you. Puts a thought in your head, gives you an idea, gives you a suggestion. But you make the decision to cross the line. And we need to start calling it what it is. This way we can overcome it. This is the way we can overcome it. Come it. This, sin means this, to neglect to hear and obey. See, because we feel like if I didn't hear it, 
But you neglected to hear. The word is there. The word is near unto you in your mouth. The word is there. But we neglect to hear it sometimes. To sin means to be ignorant of what should have been known. You should have known. You ever heard that? You should have known better? Come on, I didn't know that. Well, you should have known better. I'm taking your phone away anyway. Because you should have known better. I wish I had a phone when I was little to get taken away. I got something else taken away. When I was growing up. But we know what sin is not. We know what sin is. Now, even as Christians, even as Christians, how can we overcome this? We, we got to overcome this thing, folks. Because we're preaching Jesus. We're preaching that he died on the cross for the remission of our sins. We're preaching to sinners that they, if they're on this side, there's something different. Yet they're looking at us and they don't see a difference. They see the same thing. Come on. There, there's, there's a lot of stuff in the church. Jody and I were talking about. There's, there's, a, there's just as much in the church as there is outside of it. But the advantage we have is that we are in the church. And God speaks to us. And we have a holy, godly mentors. Come on, that we can look to. We have a Holy Spirit that we can go to. That God can deal with us and cause us to overcome all of these things. And so just briefly, I want to just give you three things for us to overcome sin. First of all, and here's, this is probably the biggest one. You wouldn't believe this, but this is what the devil wants. He wants to drive a wedge. Here's how we overcome sin. Number one, maintain a close relationship with God. You know what it is when, when you fall short, when you do something, especially us who know better, and you do something wrong or you don't do something that you know you were supposed to do or you talk to somebody and curse them out or whatever it might be. You do something you know you wasn't supposed to. Our first instinct is just like Adam. Maybe he, maybe he won't see me. And I, I let it pass. And when you come up, God's standing right there. Not only did I know he was going to come up, I knew he was going to come up right now. How do you know? I've seen him before. I live in eternity. He knows it's going to happen. You might as well go ahead and come up. Adam and Eve ran when they sinned, when they realized they were naked. They ran and hid. And here come God, walking through the garden, Sister Patty. Adam, Eve, just like a little kid hiding right there. You know where they are. Adam, Eve, I see you. And so God already knew. He already knows. But, but the enemy would have us. He, 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 wants to draw, he wants to drive a wedge between us and God. And do you realize that even when you fall short, it's not like God didn't know you wasn't, was going to do it. Come on, somebody. It's not like he didn't know. He already knows. He knew when he created you what you was going to do today. Don't that blow your mind? He already knew. What he wants you to do is to be like, the, that's why the prodigal son story is such a moving story. He wants you to come to yourself and come back to him. Because he's got forgiveness. He's already, he's already provided it. His blood is already shed for your sin. But you still have to get up and come back. You see, the father had already provided for the prodigal son, but the prodigal son still had to come back. As long as he stayed out there, he's in the pig pen. Being, uh, uh, being the inheritor of all of this, he has this inheritance. 
But yet, he's choosing to be in the pig pen. Don't choose to stay in the pig pen. Come back to God. Don't be embarrassed about it. In fact, it's, it's really pretty ridiculous to be embarrassed because he already knows. <laughs> Come on. He can see it. Don't be embarrassed. Come back to him. The enemy wants to, to keep us separated. We have to realize that God wants you close. Yeah, he wants me close, but if I do something, then he may not want me. No, 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 no. He already knows all that you're going to do. He wants you close with your flaws and all. Every shortcoming, every failure, come on, every disobedience, all of those things, he wants you close. He wants you close to him. This way he can keep you on the right path. You may Listen, when you are close to God, here's what it is. When you maintain a close relationship and you're close to God, here's what happens. You, you still, if you sin or you fall short, you're so close to God, you go right to him. God, you're, uh, I know you probably saw that, but listen. Okay. Only reason... Lord, if you just forgive me because this is what happened. You're right there talking to him, probably making excuses, but you run right to him. But that's what he wants. He wants you to come to him. Maintain a close relationship. We have to know what to do. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation uh, for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He is the propitiation. He is the one that makes it right. All we have to do is accept it and go. You don't have to, don't prepare a big long speech. Come on, don't start preparing all these excuses because Jesus is our propitiation. He's the one that will make it right. He, that's what an advocate is. I don't know if you've ever been to court, if you've ever done something wrong and you've been in court and you have a counselor and an advocate. You ever notice, you've watched enough crime shows to know that the person in there might start to say something. Well, you know, and the, the counselor say, hey, be quiet. I'll handle it. And they, and they handle it for you because they know what to say. They know the legal words. They know all of that to say. Jesus knows exactly what to say to the father. All you got to do is come back and say, I repent. I'm sorry. And Jesus will say, good, I'll take it from here. He's our propitiation. Maintain that close relationship. Number two, change your desires. Change your desires. Listen, when, you, when you're talking about this, here's, here's, let me just say this. Here's what we got to understand. Temptation is not sin. And sometimes when we get tempted, we just feel like, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but I know I have. Sometimes when you get tempted, you just feel like, ah, uh, I'm tempted anyway. I might as well just go ahead and do it. You ever done that? Come on. I, I'm, I'm already tempted. I'm halfway there. I might as well just go ahead and finish or whatever it is I'm going to do. Or I started to tell a lie, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell a lie or whatever it may be. I know, you know, folks on a diet do that. They eat a little slice of cake. Well, I ate a little slice of cake. So I might as well just eat the whole cake. You got another cake? I eat both the cakes. I'm already down the road. <laughs> I eat two cakes. <laughs> but temptation is not sin. Temptation equals desire plus opportunity, and you get tempted. But it begins with your desire. We have to get control of these desires. Now, unchecked desire leads to sin. Sin is desire plus opportunity plus action. The action is the sin. Come on. So just because you have a wrong desire and you have opportunity, don't take the last step. 
You can still come back from it. Because in the end, desire plus opportunity plus action and no forgiveness, no, no close relationship, no changed desires equals death. Eternal separation from the Father. You may think it's all good now for the 75, 85, 95. If you live like Sister Sharon, maybe 125 years you're living on the earth. But compared to eternity, eternal separation, folks. Eternal separation. Nobody wants that. I don't even want to think about it. Like you, Sister Pat, I don't even want to think about that. Properly focused desires not only lead away from sin, but they lead to blessings. Not only away from sin, but into blessings. You know Psalm 37.4. You know it. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will what? Give thee the desires of your heart. Here's what another version says. It says, enjoy serving the Lord, and he will give you whatever you ask. See, this is the way a good father, a good mother is. This is the way a good parent is. If you enjoy serving him, oh, he just loves to give you, to give you whatever you ask. The desires of your heart. So maintain a close relationship. Change your desires. And lastly, you got to break down and just accept God's help. Just accept it. Just accept it. Admit it and accept it. Just accept his help. God is able and willing to help us overcome every sin, every obstacle in our life. He helps us to control our desires by his spirit if we just accept it, by providing his word to renew our mind. We just have to accept it. See, when you pray, you ought to pray, and at the end of that prayer, you ought to put on there, in Jesus' name. Why do I say that? Because Jesus himself said, anything you ask, he didn't say anything you ask, God will give you. He said, anything you ask in my name, in my name, anything you ask in my name. That's why when we pray, we ought to end it by saying, in Jesus' name. Here is the caveat to that. Let me throw something at you. When you say, in Jesus' name, you're not just rubbing a lamp. And a genie is coming out, just automatic. If I say those words, it's like rubbing a lamp. What you're doing is when you say in Jesus' name, you're saying, Lord, I turn it over to you. And how you want to do it, that's the way I'm giving it to you. I'm turning it over to you. But now let me throw the other caveat on top of all of that. His way is the best. His way is the way of blessings. His way is not the way of condemnation. His way is not the way of withholding things from you. That's not his way. So when you say in Jesus' name, what you're saying is, Lord, I, you know, I, I would, I, maybe I want it this way. Maybe I, I put a petition before you. But in Jesus' name, your best way. He knows what's best. All he wants you to do is speak his word. Accept his help to overcome sin. His way. You can't do it your way in overcoming sin. I can't say, I'm just going to tell, I can't say four Hail Marys, three Our Fathers, and expect my sins to be absolved. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offends you. But that's not his way. That's not what he said to do. He didn't say to do that. He, he said to come to me, confess your sins, and I will forgive you. I don't care if you say six, I, I mean, what, what's too many? I mean, what if I... What if I lie to somebody? How many is that? How many Our Fathers do I have to say? What if I murder somebody? 
How many Our Fathers does it take? How many Hail Marys does it take? Don't worry about all that. Just accept His help His way. God helps us to exercise self-control over our actions and our thoughts through His Spirit, strengthening the inner man. God helps us to obtain the forgiveness He's already given to us through the blood of His Son as we repent and as we pray. He helps us to do all of those things. So this brings me all the way back to, as Christians, we would say, well, Jesus has already dealt with that, so I don't have to worry about it. But now you have to not, not worry about it, but now you have to watch. That's why Jesus said to watch and pray. You have to watch and pray now more than ever because now you're a threat. Come on, now you're a threat. If you're in the world, he doesn't care about that. He's already got you right where he wants you. He doesn't have to tempt you. He doesn't have to, all he has, he tempts you every once in a while just to keep you out there. That's all he does. But now that you're filled with his spirit, you're a threat. And so he's going to come at you with everything that he has. But we have an advocate with the Father and we have his word, a more sure word of prophecy. A more sure word of prophecy. We have his word. And if we would confess his word, we can overcome everything that the enemy throws against us in our lives.